Shalom and blessings. This is Pastor Clifton McDowell Sr. here at the Church of God of East New York, located in the heart of Brooklyn. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray this week's sermon blesses and encourages you for the journey. God bless. Now enjoy the sermon. Reverend Robert L. Tolliver is the pastor of the Brownsville Community Church of God in Somerville, South Carolina. He has served the wonderful people of God there since April of 1993. He is married to Patricia, the director of the guidance department of Somerville High School. They have two young adult children, Brandon and Camille. Reverend Tolliver is a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he served for nine years as an associate minister with the Lincoln Avenue Church of God. Reverend Tolliver has an associate degree in liberal arts where he graduated with high honors. He has a diploma in ministerial studies from the Center of Pastoral Studies at Anderson School of Theology and has studied at the Reformed Presbyterian Seminary. He has served on the board of directors for Meals on Wheels. He has also held every office of the Somerville Ministerial Association, including president. He has served as a mentor for young boys at Somerville Elementary School and Alston Middle School. Reverend Tolliver has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the eastern United States. He has also had the joy of preaching services in both India and Africa. He has written three books, Inspirational Breezes, Can You Relate, and the ebook entitled Lessons from the Miracles of Jesus. He is the most excited about being saved by the grace of God, having access to the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the joy of our heavenly hope. He loves the Lord. He loves his family. He loves the Brownsville Church of God family and the people of God everywhere that may be found. After the following selection, please join us in a warm welcome for Reverend Robert L. Tolliver. Well, good afternoon, East New York. What a blessing it is to be here sharing with you and what a powerful worship experience we have enjoyed. Please be seated. We give God the honor, the glory, and the praise to be invited to share in such a great occasion to share as you celebrate your 92nd church anniversary. And I'm so excited and humbled to be able to be here sharing with you. I do thank God for your tremendous leadership in Pastor Cliff and Lady D. Amen. Thank God for them. I value their leadership and value their friendship. You're so blessed as a church family to have leaders like them. So blessed to have leaders that lead with integrity, that can't be questioned. So blessed to have models like them that um, show love for each other and for their family. So blessed to have competent leaders that lead with humility and they have swag. <laughs> I call it sophisticated swag. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you have chosen a tremendous theme to work with and so I wanna jump right in. The scripture is the scripture that has been read already this morning, but it won't hurt us to read it again. And so let's read um, wherever you are. In fact, um, we'll honor God's word by standing and 
read this in unison even through your mask. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, and it reads as thus. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord. Father, thank you for this privilege we have of gathering together in this house. It means so much more to us now when we think about scriptures like I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We have been denied this privilege for so long because of disease, but you're opening up doors for us. And for that, we're glad. We thank you for the 92 years of service that this particular congregation, this section of the vineyard has provided to this community and beyond. And now as we explore your word, we're asking you to anoint by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would send your word forth to be an encouragement and the counselor to these your servants that they may continue in the fight the good fight of faith, so that your name may get the glory. This we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Purposely commanded to serve, and I want to talk about serving in concert. I love the way, my brothers and sisters, that you've worked with this serving theme over the years. It makes me believe, since it was a serving theme when I was here last around five years ago, that you are a church that gets it. You are a church that understands that this life is about serving, not about being served. Now it's clear, it's clear, crystal clear from the text that once again, this is talking about how important it is for us to serve God through serving one another. On top of that, when we look at some of the phrases that are mentioned here, like each one use, gift received, serve others, faithfully administering various forms, if anyone speaks, if anyone serves, it's clear again that we're talking about not only serving, but about serving together. Amen. This, there's a teamwork dynamic that's mixed into this. These phrases make it clear that when we serve, we are not just to serve for the purpose of serving, but we also are to serve and serve together. My brothers and my sisters, there is something that happens when we learn how to serve as teams. Pastor Cliff, if I could only jump in a time machine and go back to the early stages of my pastoral ministry, I would not just think solely about what it means for me to serve. I would do that, but it's not the only thing I would do. I would also take a whole lot more time than I did back in those days to uh, concentrate on serving in teams and zeroing in on the importance of teamwork. I would do that because I recognize that our impact is multiplied and the beauty of grace is more evident to those that are around us 
when we learn how to function well in teams. In fact, in fact, we may be masters of this Christian life, living as solo artists, but the uh, laboratory of our faith being worked out is expressed in community. It's done through serving one another. We function well when we function as teams. That's where all these commands, part of your theme, of teamwork come in with these one another scriptures. Scriptures like love one another, pray for one another, be good to one another, bear one another's burdens, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And in our text it says serve others. Oh yes, it really is true that we are better together. And so as I was thinking about and praying about what I would say to you, the thought came to my mind to research the uh, Greek words that are in this text that's assigned. And when I came across the phrase God provides in verse 11, I ran across a very interesting word. The word in the original is korege, which comes from the word, the root verb, korigeo, from which we get our word chorus. It's a musical term. It literally means to supply a chorus with everything that it needs. Hence our thought this morning about serving in concert. The word picture just locked in my mind that we, my brothers and sisters, serve best when we are serving in harmony, bringing forth a concert of kindness through our works of service while we're working together. When we are purposely commanded to serve, we can't ignore the truth that the gifts that we bring and the sweet notes that we sing in terms of service are tied together with the gifts that are all around us. And the most effective sounds happen when there is sweet harmony between us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that means this morning that we need to take a look at or glance at the flip side of this so that when we think about gifted groups that work together and don't do so well with the harmony piece, it helps us appreciate even more when we see it and serve in ways where there is sweet harmony and good unity working together. And so, my dear friends in Christ, our beautiful union by the supernatural power of God makes us one, and yet we have to practice in practical ways that oneness so that we can work it out. We are members of his body receiving commands from the head. And as the head gives us the commands, which is Christ, we the members of the body function in harmony one with another as we are receiving orders from the head. We are stones in a spiritual building and every one of us as living stones is related to the cornerstone and yet at the same time we can't ignore the fact that we are also related to each other. We are threads in the wonderful tapestry of grace. 
and glory where we recognize the beauty of the opportunity we have to look at our own contribution while at the same time looking at and appreciating the colors and the textures of the lives of those that have been woven in the same garment together. In this picture, it shows that our places are singing our parts and thanking God that we have sweet notes to contribute while we are hearing the notes that are also offered by those that are singing their parts around us, blended all together to the glory of God. Let me try it like this. We just hit the notes that we were created to hit while we don't worry so much or get jealous about the notes that are being produced by others in other areas because they're singing notes that are not in our repertoire. In every case, whether it's the body or the building or the tapestry or the chorus, there's a oneness that must be necessary for us to put forth the beauty that God intends. In spiritual life, the Lord Jesus Christ has granted us oneness, and that oneness was extremely costly. We just got finished rehearsing it because we're exiting out of Easter season, and we recognize that our Lord and Savior was cruelly treated without a cause, that he was falsely arrested, that he was lied on, that he was cruelly treated in a kangaroo courtroom that he was punched and slapped and spit upon and beaten, that he was led out later and whipped, that he was led through the streets like a common criminal, that they led him up that skull-shaped hill called Golgotha where they drove nails in his hands and a spike through his feet, that he hung in agony in order to pay the price for our sins. And so unity is already hours. But my brothers and my sisters, even though the unity has already been purchased, you and I must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so when we don't surrender and submit to the power that the Holy Spirit gives, then since the default position of we human beings always leans towards self there will be discord. That's really what I want to drop in your spirits today is that discord brings sour notes. And if a chorus is bringing sour notes, then sour notes will distort and distract people away from the beauty of the Christ we serve. We don't want to produce sour notes. And sour notes come through discord. And sour notes is not what we want. Sour notes like petty bickering. Sour notes like self-promotion campaigns. Sour notes like man-made agendas. Sour notes like territory and turf protection. Sour notes like jealousy over those that are singing notes that are not like ours. Any of these qualities or combinations of these qualities or all of these tendencies will throw sour notes and mess up the entire concert. And friends, when we allow those sour notes
those to exist in our own lives or when we allow those that are around us on our team and not resist the sour notes that they produce, even though we have been well supplied by God giving all the course needs, it nevertheless will result in sour notes so that a lost and dying world, those that are in sin all around us, won't be able to properly interpret the love of God they so desperately need. We don't want that to be us, do we? And so, my brothers and sisters, in order to get the lesson this morning, I want you to take a look with me at the original crew of Christ. We want to look at the 12, and I would suggest there are at least three things that we can gain from the 12 that will keep us from singing sour notes. There are three tendencies that we need to stay away from, to keep ourselves from producing them. Number one, if we're going to sing in sweet harmony as we serve together as commanded in and on our teams, then we've got to avoid arrogance. We've got to avoid arrogance. To be arrogant is to be high-minded, self-important, haughty, conceited, egotistical, pompous, proud, immodest, and vain. And there is no way to purposely serve, especially on a team now, with that kind of poisonous attitude. Arrogance contaminates. Arrogance has a poisonous effect on relationships. I'm not even sure I get where arrogance in the kingdom of God comes from because when there's a proper understanding of God and his family, it's hard to know how arrogance can creep in, but sometimes it does. Let me remind you what our verses declare. Our verses declare that each one receives a gift, and since each of us receives a gift, what do we have to be mad about in terms of comparing and contrasting with other people? It says that we are to use our gifts to serve others, which means since we're not promoting ourselves, what do we have to raise our noses about? Our gifts come in various forms, and so by design they differ and vary from others, and therefore why in the world would we compete? then it is God's strength that provides all of this, and it, he does it so that he himself can be praised. Now, how we human beings can get in there and mess something up that's as beautiful as that with ego and pride is an amazing feat all by itself. And yet, when we go back to the 12, we can see that it sometimes happens. John 13 shows the disciples in that large upper room. The cross is very near to the horizon of Jesus' future. And when Jesus arrives with the 12 already in that large upper room, he notices as he walks in that the large water jar is still full. 
These 12 men he has walked with and worked with and done miracles with and ate with and shared with through thick and through thin who he has taught through both precept and practice are actively blowing it again. They're crouched around the table in positions ready to share in the meal with their various spots being occupied, but they're doing so with filthy hands and feet. The custom was for the lowest who was among them to wash the hands and feet of the others. But these guys who have soaked in the ministry of Jesus up close and personal for three years now in this moment of service are too arrogant to bow down and wash one another's feet. They don't understand the kingdom system at all. And because they don't understand that in the kingdom of God, the greatest are those who serve, since they just didn't get it, Jesus takes off his outer garments, wraps himself in a towel, and bows down low and begins to wash their feet. Then, my brothers and my sisters, he gives to them and to us by proxy the arrogance antidote. Yes, there is a medicine that cures arrogance, and the medicine comes from Christ himself. Here's the medicine that he gives. He asks them, do you understand what I've just done for you? He says, you call me master and you call me teacher and you've got it exactly right because that's exactly who I am. And if I, your Lord and teacher, have bowed down to wash your feet, then you ought to wash each other's feet. And the verb that is used there means you ought to be serving each other continuously. I've set the example, says Jesus, and let me inform you of this while I'm speaking, he says. No servant is greater than his master, and no messenger is greater than the one who sent him. So do as I have done to you. That's a command, not a suggestion. And since that's the direction that's given, it is given with a promise of blessing because he adds on the concept that happy are ye if you do these things. Looking at it from James's perspective, the brother of Jesus, he says it like this in James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, but he, meaning God, giveth more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. Please say, even if saying through your mask this morning, there is no place in my life for arrogance. Now say arrogance brings sour notes. If you know that's true, give God a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. So if we're going to sing sweet notes of service, We've got to avoid arrogance. Number two, as we move on, we need to avoid arguments. Now, since words can be uh, somewhat easy to misapply, let me just describe, even though most of us, I'm sure, know what an argument is, 
let me describe how I'm using it this morning. When I say arguments, I'm talking about heated, angry exchanges of opposing and diverging viewpoints. Please notice, because it's very important, the words anger and heat. The anger and heat are important pieces in this anger discussion or argument discussion because we all have our own viewpoints and we're entitled to have our own viewpoints. The Lord would have not given us individual minds if he was expecting us to parrot and to mimic the thoughts of our brothers and sisters without thinking on our own. And so, my brothers and sisters, we can disagree with others. We most likely will disagree with others, but we can do it without ugly quarreling and without endless arguing. We can do it, I hope we can do it as saints of God, without physical violence. We can do it without back and forth bickering. We can do it without loud clashes. We can have disagreements without looking for a dust-up every time we occupy the same space with the person or people that we're disagreeing with. Our elders taught us, didn't they, that sometimes we simply agree to disagree. Or another thing they taught us is that we can disagree without being disagreeable. And so, my brothers, once again, sometimes it can be easy for us to believe that since we're in the kingdom of God and we're children of God who have been saved by the grace of God and touched by the Spirit of God, that we are so far removed from these things that they would never happen. But let's take another look at the 12 to see that sometimes it does happen. In Luke chapter 22 and verses 24 and 25, the disciples were arguing. Depending on which version of the scriptures you use, it's described as a strife, a dispute, or an argument. In other words, these men were fussing with each other and engaging in heated, angry interchanges. To make it even worse, not only is it an argument, but it's an angry argument and it's an arrogant argument. They are arguing over who is to be considered the greatest. My, my, my. Now, my brothers and sisters, can you imagine how frustrating it must have been for our Lord? He is near the cross now. This is chapter 22, not chapter 2. In other words, the, the ministry of Jesus on earth and his physical form is coming to an end. And just a few more verses in Luke 22, we find him kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying about the cross. And so can you imagine the frustration of him as he has poured his life into these men for three years, and now he's about to exit with the hope of the world on their shoulders, and he has given himself to develop them, and now here they are, instead of recognizing the importance of serving, they're arguing over who's the greatest. Jesus says in verse 25, Listen, fellas, that's what the heathen do. 
That's what pagans do. He said, that's what the crew does that doesn't even know me nor my father, and it shall not be like that among you. The truly greatest, he says, must act like the youngest, and those that are chief must be like one who serves. There it is. There it is again. This life is about serving. My brothers and my sisters, it was frustrating for Jesus to see his own acting the way they were acting. And instead of recognizing the importance of serving, they're looking for prestige and looking for power and bickering for prominence and so he is highly upset with the way they're behaving but before we put it all on them let's take a look at where we are we have Bibles and all kinds of translations. We have access to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We have ministry available to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We can catch ministry on radio and ministry on TV and ministry on internet. So we got Bibles, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got ministry being continuously broadcasted and yet still we Christians can find the dumbest stuff to argue about. I know that this could never happen in East New York, but I've seen fussing and fighting in other churches about the silliest things. Folk can argue about who's going to fry the chicken and how it's going to be fried. Folk can argue about what color the choir or praise team's going to be wearing when it's time to sing. Folk can argue about whether it's too hot or too cold in the sanctuary. Folk will argue about whether modern contemporary choruses or traditional sticking to the hymns music ought to be sung. Folk will argue about are the sermons too long and too loud or are the sermons too short and too simple? Are they too theological and theoretical and technical? And that's just the easy stuff. I haven't even gotten to tongues or no tongues or how is Christ coming back again? Is it pre, post, or all millennial? Should we call him Jesus or should we call him Yeshua? Should we keep doing church online or should we have everybody cram into the building back in person or do we do a combination or a hybrid model of the two? Well, I have a suggestion about all all the arguing that can go on. How about we just believe in the Father, believe in the Son, believe in the Holy Ghost, believe that the three are one. How about we believe in the manger and believe in the cross and believe in the blood of Jesus and believe that he paid the cost. And even if we cannot agree on the circumstances that surround exactly what's going to be going on when he comes back. We all know that he's coming back again to receive unto himself a church without spot or wrinkle. And if we can agree on those things, then we ought to roll up our sleeves and start doing some work together. 
So please, will you say with me or say after me as best as you can through your mask, say there is no time to waste in arguing. Say, arguing brings sour notes. Now let's praise the Lord for the truth right there. So, my brothers and sisters, we are, if we're going to sing sweet notes together in service, to avoid arrogance and to avoid arguments, but number three and finally, we also need to learn how to avoid awkward alignments. We've got to avoid awkward alignments. Alignment means to arrange things in either a straight line or in the correct and appropriate relative positions. I think we've all heard the phrase, about trying to force a square peg into a round hole. When you try to force a square peg into a round hole, that's awkward. And an awkward alignment then would be trying to force something to go into a place where it doesn't fit or trying to get someone or something to do what they're not designed to do. Mm-hmm. Let's look at the 12 again. In John 6, 53 through 65, Jesus is telling the disciples that in order to continue in life, they need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. After he reports that to the crowd that is there, the Bible says that many of them turned and refused to follow him any further. But Jesus looks at the 12 and he asks them, are you going to leave me also? Peter, as usual, speaks up and says, Lord, where would we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. We believe that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus replies in verse 70 there by saying, I've chosen you 12, I handpicked you, and one of you is the devil. There he's referring to Judas, who we all know later betrayed him. And so Jesus knew what the purpose of Judas was. Jesus knew what Judas was there for among the 12. He wasn't to be trusted as a genuine disciple. His purpose was betrayal, and betrayal is exactly what he did. And so Jesus knew that. But the 12, and to the 12, and for the 12, it could have been pretty awkward trying to see Judas aligned and trying to align with him in service had to be awkward because they didn't have the revelation of, uh, of who he was and what he was to do. And so trying to serve alongside of him and trying to get him to do the things that were the right things to do would have been awkward, them not understanding his purpose, because Judas was not going to line up. Don't feel sorry for Judas either. Because besides Jesus calling him the devil, 
He also said that what he did was so wicked, so sinful, and the consequences so severe that it would have been better for him to never have even been born. And so there's no reason for us to feel sorry for Judas. On top of that, I wonder how many of us are frustrated and frustrated to the point where sour notes can creep out of ourselves because we're trying to get the expectations that we ought to put on saints and putting those on sinners that still love to sin. I wonder, my brothers and sisters, are we losing joy trying to make preachers and teachers out of those that don't have a preaching and teaching gift? I wonder how disheartening it is for us and for others to see ushers and greeters that are serving with bad attitudes and 10 miles of sourness because they don't have the temperament from God to function as doorkeepers. I wonder how many folk are in misery and could be much happier and even much more effective if they were serving in the space and place that fit more tightly with the talent gift mix that God gave them. And so it's not just arrogance and it's not just arguments, not being rightly aligned according to the gift that God has given us or gifts that God has given us can also cause us to be in a place where we are producing sour notes. And sometimes sour notes can be that very literally because sometimes we can have folks singing in limelight positions that don't have a singing gift. We can have folks serving food that make people feel bad about eating the food that they're serving them. We can have folk functioning in technical areas that don't have the understanding of how that works and don't want to learn what it takes to get it done. We can have folk cleaning and maintaining the facilities that don't have an eye for what it ought to look like when the job is done. All of those are awkward alignments. I'm done, my brothers and sisters, purposely commanded to serve in concert together is something that we ought to constantly consider because my brothers and my sisters we need to live in harmony with each other to reflect properly what God wants to sow through us we need to live in peace with each other so that the God that we say we love can be glorified we need to learn how to function in teams so that the influence of his grace and glory can be magnified and multiplied to a lost and dying world. Church of God of East New York, the challenges that are before us in this season are large, but God that works through you will make you equal to the task as you lean on him, as you depend on him, as you walk in humility as you refuse to bicker with each other and as you find your space and place where you can most effectively be used for his glory. All of that squashes sour notes. 
We squash them by not allowing ourselves to be proud. We squash them by refusing to give time and space for arguing and bickering. And we squash them by constantly seeking the places where we ought to be serving. Really, the beauty of that thought is communicated in our hymnology. The church of God, one body is, one spirit dwells within, and all her members are redeemed and triumph over sin. God sets the members, each in place according to his will, apostles, prophets, teachers all, his purpose to fulfill. It is his purpose that we're trying to fulfill. It is his glory that we're striving to see released. And in order to do that, we need to be bowing low in humility, speaking to one another in love and peace with our speech sprinkled with grace, and linking our arms together as we serve in the special place that God has designated us for us while we appreciate the gifts that are also being expressed in others. God bless you. God keep you. God continue to move through you in the days and years that are ahead. Amen. Wow, that was a great message. Thank you for joining us this week. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, share it with your friends, and tag us in your social stories at C-O-G-E-N-Y. Thank you to those who have given generously to this ministry in the past. And if you'd like to become a contributor, head over to cog-eny.com. That's cog-eny.com. And just click on the offering and donations tab. Again, thank you so much. Now God bless.